Good morning, everybody. My name's Andy, as Kay said, and I want to add my welcome to everybody here to Christchurch Baptist Church this morning. It's great that we're able to share the Word of God in this way, although I'm sure we all hope to resume meeting physically in the near future as soon as possible. I also want to add my thanks uh, to the Webb family for reading that Bible reading for us so helpfully, and also to Teddy, uh, their son, who I know was also involved but after a couple of te technical difficulties, we're grateful for the whole family taking a share in that. So as we know, we're continuing this morning with our series entitled More Than a Sunday School Story. And don't worry if you've missed the earlier weeks, I'll be recapping as we go along. But today we come to one of the monumental stories of the entire Old Testament. This is the story that the entire Jewish and Christian community points back to as their foundation, the story of Abram and the covenant. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Well, I wonder how many of us remember that song from old and how many were doing the actions along with me. Well, it so happens this was a bit of an alien song to me because I didn't come to a church until I was 16 years old. So I've never actually been to Sunday school. And so it was, with a look of bewilderment and some cringy embarrassment, that I stared at a group of friends in my university Christian union as that we were going along in a minibus and they were rekindling some of their old childhood. And yet it's surprising, actually, how much truth is contained within just those four or five lines. I could end my sermon right there, and perhaps some of you might be wishing I would. But I do want to put a bit more flesh on the bones. Of course, we could spend an entire sermon series studying the life of Abraham. There is so much we can get out of his story, although we've only got time this morning to concentrate on one aspect, the covenant. I would encourage you to read the whole of Genesis 12 to 25. And it seems that outside the Old Testament, there may actually be little evidence discovered so far to suggest that Abraham was an actual historical person. But if we take it that he was, then Abram, as he was called for the first 99 years of his life, he was a descendant of Noah's son, Shem. And after the flood, that family resided in Mesopotamia, which is modern-day Iraq, after the flood. Now, this was a region of an advanced civilization called the Sumerians. They were the people that had built the Tower of Babel that we heard about from Lawrence last week. They were also the forerunners of the Babylonians. And Abram's family lived in a city called Ur of the Chaldeans, most likely between 2300 and 1900 BC. This puts them in the Bronze Age. We don't know what they did for a living, but Jewish tradition holds that their father, Terah, made and sold idols. What's certain is that Ur was a city steeped in the worship of foreign gods. It had a great temple dedicated to their moon god, ironically called Sin. So it was this very unholy culture that God told Abram to leave. Terah does leave Ur, originally bound for Canaan, and he takes with him Abram, his wife Sarai, and Abram's nephew Lot, to whom Abraham had become a second father. But they settle in Haran, 
now southern Turkey, where terror remains for the rest of his life. The Lord had given Abram his first vision in Genesis chapter 12. He wants to make Abram into a great nation. The Lord will bless him and make his name great. The Lord will bless those whom Abram blesses and curse those whom Abram curses. Crucially, for all of us that would follow, all peoples on earth will be blessed through Abram. And we'll find out why as we go. But even at the outset, this would have been earth-shattering to Abram. In his younger years, he might have expected to build a family or a dynasty even, but a nation? He was a Semite. Were these not his people? Still, the Lord said to him, leave your country and your people. What's the point? How would the Lord make Abram into a new nation? Sarai was barren. They would have wrestled for years with the anguish of infertility. He was about 70 now, and though Sarai was 10 years younger, she was well past childbearing age. They would have long given up trying. But it was clear God had huge plans for this family. One day, many, many people would count him as father. So, not knowing where they were going, Hebrews 11 tells us, Abram followed God's call. And at the age of 75, he took Sarai, Lot, and all their servants and possessions they'd acquired and made their way down through Canaan looking for a place to settle. Time goes on. Abram and Lot become very wealthy, but then they separate after an argument over ranching lands. Abram settles at Hebron in Canaan, where he builds an altar to the Lord. And it's here that God fills in some of the details by proclaiming that the whole of Canaan shall be given to Abram. All the lands he can see from the north to the south, from the east to the west. And to confirm for the first time that Abram personally will have offspring. In fact, offspring as numerous as the dust of the land. It will have dawned on Abram that God's vision is real and it is enormous. Later in our text, God speaks to Abram again. And he first seeks to reassure him, saying, I will be your shield and your very great reward. Now, this is actually a reference to a battle that Abram had been involved in in the previous chapter. But next, we see Abram doubting that earlier calling. Who will inherit my estate, he asks, since you haven't given me any children? It seems God's, uh, that Abram's forgotten the offspring as numerous as a dust moment from a couple of chapters ago. So God tries another metaphor. Taking him outside, he says, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to count the stars in the night sky on a cloudless night. In a built-up area, you possibly could. There might be about 50 or 100 but I remember one time I found myself at an evening wedding reception in rural West Dorset. And I looked up and far away from too much light pollution, I saw in the sky the Milky Way stretched out. And it was vast. I couldn't possibly count the number of stars that were there. 
How many would Abraham have seen in the days before artificial light? Astronomers reckon there may be up to 4,000 stars you can see with the naked eye if the conditions are right. But God isn't even being this literal. Earlier, he'd said Abraham's offspring would be as countless as the dust. Well, if he'd had a microscope, Abraham might have counted billions of little particles. Later on, God would repeat this promise using the sand on the seashore. God's trying to explain to a Bronze Age pilgrim the concept of infinity. Though Abram believed the Lord about his offspring, he wasn't quite assured that God would give him the land. So God sent, then sets up this graphic and very real proof. Abram is asked to prepare this ritual, and if you're like me, this seems bizarre and gruesome, possibly even offensive to us in the 21st century. It's this ritual of killing five birds and animals in a burnt sacrifice and then arranging the animal halves in two lines for God then to pass between in the form of a smoking brazier and a flaming torch. I mean, what is all that about? Actually, what's happening here is deep and profound, the commentators tell us. In the ancient Near East, a political treaty or covenant might be ratified, or actually in their language, cut, in the same way we still talk of cutting a deal with somebody, ratified by the more powerful partner passing between two cut body pieces, and forgive me for getting a bit graphic there, as he swore an oath to his God. The symbology here is important. It means, if I break this promise, may the same thing happen to me as has happened to these animals. So we can see God is absolutely deadly serious about what he's saying. And we know, don't we, from the benefit of history that God remained true to his promise. Abraham did grow into a great nation. But God didn't stop there. As Chris will tell us next week, there are actually two great nations that came from Abraham and Sarai. They grow into two races of people that have now spread into their tens of millions right around the world. And it's the second part of this covenant that confirms God's grace to Abram. This is a running thread that we've seen through each of the stories of Genesis so far. Yet again, we see that when God gives a promise, he doesn't do things by halves. His gift to the Hebrews is amazing and extravagant. It's an outflow of God's character. All of God's gifts to us, even today, are generous and lavish. In a reversal of God's punishment on Adam and Cain, the land of Canaan was so fertile, it grew huge harvests of fruit, as Moses' spies would later prove when they brought some back from the promised land in the book of Exodus. The promised land, they said, was so rich that it flowed with milk and honey. That's a metaphor for how sweet and sustaining to life it was. This land would be a perfect provision for God's new nation. There was just one problem. It was already occupied. God knew in advance that Canaan would have to be taken by force 
by the Israelites. And this remains a controversial aspect of the Old Testament for many, including me. Because we overwhelmingly know the Lord, don't we, as a God of love, of compassion, of mercy, of forgiveness, not a God of justice, vengeance, and slaughter. Yet we have to hold in tension these two seemingly opposing attributes of the Lord, mercy and judgment. In his sovereign justice, God would use those forthcoming battles both to grant possession to the land for the Israelites and also to judge the existing nations that were there for their grievous sin. Once again, as we saw earlier in Genesis, blood would have to be spilled for the fulfillment of God's covenant. Now, many people have wondered why God chose Abram in particular. Did God choose Abram because he was righteous? No, actually. We can read how he deceived Pharaoh and nearly got his wife swept into the king's harem. Did God choose Abraham because he knew he would live a holy life? No. As we'll see next week, he tries unholy ways to make God's promises come true rather than trusting and waiting for the Lord's timing. Did God choose Abraham because he was 100% committed to the Lord? Not exactly. Yes, he did keep worshipping the one true God, but humanly, he had his doubts too. Several times, God had to remind him that the promise was real, the covenant would be fulfilled. Abram was human, and God knew that he would fail him in many and different ways, just as we all do. We're not told in the Bible why God chose Abram. I wonder if it was simply because he wanted to. Abram did nothing to deserve God's favor. But for whatever reason, God chose Abram to be blessed through living a life of faith. God still chooses people today who don't deserve it to come into a relationship of blessing with him. He's choosing you now and waiting for you to respond. Ultimately, God knew Abram could not become righteous by his own means. And neither can anyone who came after him, including us. In verse 6 of our text, Abram believed the Lord. And that was what was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, this righteousness didn't come from anything Abram did. It came from his faith. The purpose of the entire covenant was for God to establish from Abraham a great nation that would in time bring a blessing of redemption for all. Because the covenant isn't just a promise of land and children. It's a promise of a relationship, a relationship of faith in the one who saves us. Abraham never knew the Messiah as we do, but he did trust in the covenant. And while that could never bring salvation under the law that was later to be given, the covenant is fulfilled and superseded in Christ Jesus. That is why Abraham is the father of many nations. 
He's the father of Israel. But spiritually, he's a father figure to you and to me. We have our promise through the seed of Abraham, who is Jesus Christ. And when God passed between those animal halves to cut the covenant, it was a picture too of the animal sacrifices he would need to forgive sin. But when Jesus died on the cross, he died one sacrifice for all people for all time. In that great act, Jesus willingly gave up his life for you and for me to become our supreme sacrifice. The word of God tells us in doing so, he took upon himself all the sins of mankind that I've committed and we all have. In doing so, we could at last be forgiven forever and permanently made right with God. As Lawrence so helpfully described for us last week, the main message of Genesis 1 to 11 is to prepare the reader for this, for Genesis 12 onwards. The fall, Abel's murder, the flood, the Tower of Babel, they all point to one thing, the failure of mankind. God let us live in freedom in the garden. We screwed it up. We tried to live in relationship with one another. We ended up hating each other. We started doing whatever we wanted. God swept the people away and started again. The people became technologically advanced, but it went to their heads and they did away with God. So God says, okay, I've got a plan. The story of Abram and the covenant is God's story of redeeming mankind. What does that mean? It's his rescue plan. It all starts here. God's big picture story is that he wants us to get back to Genesis 2, to that perfect, intimate, loving relationship that Adam and Eve shared in the Garden of Eden, of that relationship of knowing and being known by a loving, heavenly Father. It all went wrong in a garden, and it will all be put right in a garden, 2,000 years later in the Garden of Gethsemane. And our blessed inheritance is a garden, that great garden of the new heaven and the new earth that will be to come. Our inheritance is that if you've trusted this morning in the death of Christ to forgive your sins, God has brought you into his royal family. I mean, wow. If you acknowledge Jesus as Lord, you are now part of that relationship which started with Abram and eventually came to all of Israel who would trust in their Messiah. Because now, by the grace of God to the Gentiles, he has included everyone who believes in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, when he came. Like a new olive branch, the Apostle Paul says, we have been grafted into that tree of God's great holy nation in a new relationship with him. Abram's covenant was a forerunner of the superior, lasting, supreme one to come. God's new covenant in Christ. And that new covenant continues. 
His promise continues through this day and into the rest of eternity. The Lord would say much later on to his prophet Jeremiah, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the greatest of them to the least, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins not. The one thing God asked of Abram is the same thing he asks of you and I. Do we believe? Now, you might be searching for answers in your life, whether life has true meaning, who God really is, whether he's real. You might be knocking on his door asking, is anyone there? You might not realize he's actually knocking on the door of your life asking the same thing. Are you there? Will you let me in? What God wanted with Abram is the same thing he wants with you and with me. God wants a relationship. You might be searching for God this morning. His word tells us, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. God is waiting to be found. God's message to you and to me this morning, I feel, is the same message he had for Abram and the Israelites. It's a question. God is asking me and he's asking you, do you know me? If you want to know God for the first time or even perhaps for the hundredth time and you're logged into a chat, I'm hoping there might be a button coming up on the right-hand corner saying, I give my life to Jesus. Click on it, if you will, as a response to God this morning. And one of our pastoral team would love to get in touch with you, to to introduce you to Jesus so that you could get to know him, that you might be able to share in this wonderful, amazing promise of knowing him for all eternity. And I also wonder if God might be asking us, do I know you? In that covenantal way, God wants to know each one of us in a deep and personal level. I wonder if it might be time this morning, even if we've been Christians for years, for some of us to get serious about our relationship with God. Only you will know what that means. But to repeat a challenge we've heard in recent weeks, we may still be socially distancing from one another, but don't remain socially distanced from God. Or maybe even the Lord might be calling you to something this morning. Like Abram, will you make a choice to follow? Or like I'm tempted to do most often, will we stay safe in our comfort zones? Fear is a natural human response to change. But one big lesson we can all take from the book of Genesis is that God always keeps his promises. And if God calls you to something, he will always supply your needs. Where God guides, 
he provides. By staying in the shadows, we might never learn the true extent of God's power and the truth of his promises. Don't miss out on an adventure of faith God might be calling to you today. The Lord's promise is real and his promise is for you and for me this morning. Will we, like Abraham, make a decision to believe God's promises and trust in them for the future? Like with Abraham, this could change the course of the rest of our lives. But also, like with Abraham, it's the only way to unlocking God's extravagant, rich blessings for you in your life. If you'd like to make a response to the Lord God this morning, do click a button that should be entitled Request Prayer. And we will count it a joy to pray with you or for you. Or you can contact the church office in the usual way. Otherwise, let's join together now in worship and song as we celebrate God's promises. <laughs>